0: When God was queer...
1: everybody, and welcome back to When God Was Queer. I'm your host Dakota Saint Clair, and I'm
0: joined by my two wonderful co-hosts. I'm Vincent, and I'm Daphne Malfitano. And we are—is that, that my name? <laughs> I never feel sure. I never feel sure. Anyway, sorry.
1: That's a hundred percent real in a lot of ways for a lot of people. So yeah, so welcome to our first God-focused episode. We are super excited because this is sort of the meat and potatoes of the uh, series that we've been dying to get to. And so we're starting with the um, big head honcho. Basically, we're starting with Big Daddy problematic big Daddy. foolishness. Uh, Wait, Zeus himself. Dakota,
2: don't you mean the bones wrapped in skin and potatoes? Oh no! Oh, Come my. on, gristle. <laughs> 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 hashtag free Prometheus. That's it. Hashtag Justice for
1: Prometheus. First of all, hashtag Justice for Amalthea, the she goat. Okay, let's talk about that for a second. Poor,
0: poor she goat. So uh not thanked. Not thanked at all. Not
1: at all. And I kind of feel like the whole thing that happened this week with Justin Timberlake issuing that bullshit faux pho- apology through like Those... notes app on Instagram. Yeah. That's basically Zeus being like, Yeah, I guess I didn't have to kill the she goat, but you know, <laughs> what are you gonna do? Misogyny, I guess it's societal Oh, is it? Is it? She gave you honey.
0: She just fed you honey and fed you honey.
1: And how do you thank her? You exist because of her. You are who you are now because you destroyed her. But sure, it's a societal issue.
2: And you sucked when you tried to do shit on your own. And you had to come back to, you know, this is more just about Justin Timberlake.
1: Oh, for sure. No, I mean, I'm I'm clearly going to call out Zeus for not even being the best singer in NSYNC. Obviously, you know, that's, you know. (laughs)
2: <laughs> um, how dare you? Yeah, this is a this is a Hades stand. I'm a Hades stand. I can't necessarily say it for the podcast, but I'm a Hades stand.
1: Uh, I mean, do I think that Hades is the least egregious of the three brothers? I do. Yeah, I do. Um, do I also 100 percent want us to start? making dank house of hades merch immediately Hell i do yeah <laughs> um we've actually had several people reach out from last week who were are like, you serious
0: we yeah they were do like it. we have a sh- it's our first shirt <laughs> how, how do right, i become hit. a
1: member of the
2: dank
0: house, yeah. of hades? dank house of hades
2: yo let's start that's our patreon we'll start a patreon it's easy as, um, you that's our merch.
1: you roll a fat sloppy blunt You bury it in a graveyard (laughs) under a full moon (laughs) and then you come back for it a month later and then you smoke it on a grave that you're going to put yourself into eventually. After
2: you drink some pomegranate juice.
1: That's it. Um, And that's how you get the t-shirt. And that's how we get the sponsorship from Palm.
2: Hello? Um, (laughs) It is. Oh my God, I drink so much Palm juice, Palm. You all all make some good juice. They do make good juice. If you would like.
1: I mean, listen, if we can just... If we can round all that up and then get friend of the podcast, Natasha Bedingfield, on for a (laughs) featured episode, to me, we've already done it. We've made it. I mean, fuck cereal. This is the podcast. My favorite Mm -hmm. murder who? I don't think so, you know. (laughs) I don't even know what that is. I've never heard of that. Yeah. Basically, we are going to start out each of our God episodes by hitting a list of bullet points, which, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to demonstrate very well because they don't really work that well for zeus but for the rest of them they will um and they're going to help you learn everything that you need to know the ins and outs of each of the olympian gods so we would start with origins so we would start like with the birth of that god which we just did the birth of zeus so like obviously we're not going to cover that
0: it was the part with the she-goat yeah the the fucking justice for amalthea yeah
1: we could have had amalthea franklin be a character in pop star pantheon (laughs) but We're going to do origins, and we're going to hit purview slash domain, right? So we can do this with Zeus. We know Zeus is called father of the gods, king of the gods, and that he is the god in ancient Greece of sky, lightning, thunder, order, like law and order, and ostensibly justice.
0: It would be funny if you meant order like Marie Kondo order. (laughs) Like, (laughs) this this is a very tidy apartment on Mount Olympus.
1: I don't know. I think there were several times that Zeus sort of looked down at the earth and- was like this does not bring me this does not this spark doesn't joy. bring me joy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> time to clean it up. You know, I, I do
0: just imagine him like sitting with a. It's usually like it's just a bucket of of lightning bolts waiting to get thrown. It's just his little organized, his little pack of lightning bolts. Well, actually, one of the bullet points we're gonna hit later on is common misconceptions, and this is—I
1: didn't think we were gonna have many for him. That's actually one of them.
0: I bet it is. It doesn't make any sense. That's not how he, lightning
1: works. <laughs> he doesn't have a barrel of lightning bolts next to him. Of course him, which he I, doesn't. I, I, but I assumed that's what. It, that's what it. That's what we all like, <coughs> like, like
0: see. I feel like. That's yeah, like, always, obviously. Like, a little picture. like
1: he because and he's you know he's like kind of quick draw McGraw with like yeah. lighting shit. So he's got to... No. He has a, an eagle that he sometimes is that's called Aquila, And he has to send the eagle somewhere. We don't know where to retrieve lightning bolts for him.
0: Well, that seems very So stupid. he can throw them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, doesn't he also have like the, he has like the Iron Man suits of lightning bolts where some of them are for special stuff that he has to get like, he's like, I can't just throw these around like these, these are secret. Oh, they're
0: special, special bolts?
2: I thought they were, like, special... They're, like, his regular bolts, and then they're sometimes, like, oh, these are... We really gotta fuck some. Like a
0: mega bolts. bolt.
1: <laughs> that I've never heard of. I've heard of that with um, what we discussed about when I brought up the Etruscans, about how uh, the equivalent of Zeus there, Tin or Tinia, has, I think, five different kinds of lightning bolts, and uh-huh. uh, he can only freely cast...
0: But that's the Checks to, and Balances
1: guy, right? That's Checks and Balances
2: guy, yeah.
0: Which, really, Zeus should have had the same system. Instead, he just has an eagle that goes to the mystery place and gets lightning bolts. <laughs> right! Like I
2: think that might—maybe that's just, like, that's that kind of modernization effect of, like, people like you know, superhero slash comic shit with the Greek gods and the way that they write them.
1: You can make that make a lot more sense and make him not have Checks and Balances when you rewrite the genealogy the way that it was back then— to the fates are not primordial. They're his children with Themis.
0: Yeah. Gotcha. You know what I
1: mean? Because that's the thing is, yeah. like, there's, there's always this sort of, like, um, abiding thing in the background of, like, even Zeus is subject to the fates. But then right. they kind of did this workaround to explain certain things where it was like, oh, no, him and Themis had the fates and the hours, and they explain the workings of the cosmos. And it's like, do they? Is that, <laughs> it? Is that what's happening? So... Uh, yeah, but, um, yeah, in terms of the, uh, common misconceptions, that's a big one with Zeus. He's not just constantly like, he doesn't have like a barrel of lightning bolts. The, the friggin' Eagle has to go to some unknown liminal place where I'm assuming there's just like one street light in and in, like the best halal cart in Brooklyn. And you know that's where they are, and then he comes back with them. I guess I don't know.
0: I mean, fortunately, that is kind of like a check and a balance, just because of the time. Just because of the time that takes. Like it takes effort to be like, okay, Eagle, can you like, can you hurry though? Because like I have, there's a guy like that needs to go right now.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because I feel like it's also like if I had the ability to smite immediately when I was processing my emotions, that would be bad for everybody involved. Exactly. If there's a little bit of wait time for me to get the ability to smite someone.
0: Count to ten. I might
2: think about it. Take, more. <laughs> take deep breaths. See, the thing is, is I don't like
1: that he has Amazon Prime Smite. No, I feel true. like he deserves USPS Smite, and that would act as its own checks and balances because he'd lose interest by the time it arrived, if it ever arrived. But
0: this damn eagle's too fast.
1: Right. (laughs) So the next thing that we would talk about is friends and enemies. Uh, That is not possible because that would be the whole fucking episode. It's just basically some of these. The answer is just the Greeks. So friends and enemies, everyone. Uh, in the cosmos, children, everyone in the cosmos. Depending on who's telling the story, I'll give you a real quick, fast and dirty: Aias, Agdistis, Angelos, Aphrodite, Apollo, Ares, Artemis, Athena, Castor and Pollux, Dionysus, aletheia Enyo, Epiphus, Fer- Eris, Ersa, Hebe, Helen of Troy, Hephaestus, Heracles, Hermes, Lacedaemon Melinoe, Minos. Pandia, Persephone, Perse- uh, Perseus, Radamanthus, Zacharias, the Graces, the Horae, the Littier, the the, Moises, the Muses, and the Moirai. Yes!
0: It's the end of the world, and we know it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> like, that was amazing. Good job.
1: I tried really hard. Wow. <laughs> um, I should do that every single episode as my warm-up to see if I can like actually make words. Uh, but yeah, so the next thing what we would cover is where, where did you hear of them first? Uh, which is kind of hard with Zeus, but we can also kind of take it as like, what's your take on them? Like, what's your general feeling been about them in what you know so far about Greek myth or, you know, are they your favorite? Are they your least favorite? I feel like we have a bit of an inkling for our audience of how we all tend to feel about Zeus, but it'd be nice to hear from each of you. (laughs) Not our favorite.
0: Well, I have like one anecdote that I feel like will cover that. Um, I, I mean, I've been aware of Zeus since I was too little. I don't I don't even know. But my mom and I used to call my dad Zeus when he got angry and my dad has a pretty bad temper when he when he I mean, he's a super sweet guy, but can be fucking terrifying when he's angry. And we used to call him Zeus. And it like half funny, half not so funny because, you know, it was sort of but he was like Zeus. It was the perfect uh, descriptor descriptor of like my dad when he enters like terrifying dad phase. And we I mean, we still joke about it to this day every once in a while. But there was there were like a good there's a good 10 year period where that was like, you know, you're becoming Zeus or he's gone full Zeus. And so i sort of like just toxic masculinity aggression.
1: Yeah. It's no, that's the, that's a it's thing. The defining feature. <laughs> also having a shorthand for when one of your parents is going nuclear and they become yeah. terrifying is good. We this had is... that for my mom and it was total recall. Do you, do, yeah. you that, yep. do you remember that movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger? I
0: love that movie. Do
1: you remember when they would go when they got dumped out on Mars and then mm. they were like Ugh! and their eyeballs would bulge out yeah yeah my mom would start to look like that and that's how you knew all hell was about to break about to explode (laughs) yeah her eyes would bulge and she would she's the only person i know who can speak complete enunciated sentences through gritted teeth Yep. So
0: she—it's
1: <laughs> this sort of like horror mask that i i is just legendary. So yeah, my dad would be like, "Oh, she's going total recall. Like, can we just, <laughs> like hit the deck?" So yeah, no, it's good to have that shorthand. I think.
0: Well, yeah, and Zeus Zeus just summed it up perfectly. So that
1: that does sum it up. That's yeah. and there's a lot of there's a lot you can pull from that for sure.
2: Yeah, I see. I feel like mine for most of the time that I was a kid I didn't know because you know most of the stories I was reading I didn't know about like how terrible he was I was always sus where I was like Um, and maybe I was just sensitive to this because my mom is a single mom, but I was like, you seem to be leaving a lot of single mothers around and that makes me not trust you. That's that's Um, not a a bad metric. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then, you know, as I grew up and like learned that he was like, oh, you, oh, you rape a lot of people. Okay. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. I didn't find Zeus first. I found Athena first and I was like obsessed with Athena because like the idea of there being a God of like wisdom and also kicking ass was like super sick. And then I think a lot of the stories that I read about Athena, she, like, was super into Zeus. She was like, yeah, my dad's sick. Like, that's my dad. So, like, that's most of the information I was getting about Zeus. And then later I started to pay attention to Zeus, I think, a little bit more. But, like, most of the information I was getting was from his children. Um, And the children are sick. They're way cooler, yeah. (laughs) They're, like, like way cooler. So, but they, like, and, and the way that those, like, kind of earlier versions of the way that they're, like, portrayed to children or, like, younger audiences is, like most of them are, like, very reverent of him. So I well, think they're also kind of
1: very nonsense. forgiving.
2: Yeah, that's You what know, I mean.
1: if, like, if, if like... they mention, they they just sort of, or they gloss over it as, like, oh, he's sort of a, he's sort of a playboy or a mac daddy or something, where you're, like, that's not what's happening at all, actually. <laughs> and this is also how we build rape culture for children. Exactly. Like, let's not do that, you know? Yeah. yeah. um So, yeah, no, I think it's it's wild. I mean, definitely what you were saying about how, like, you know, the thing about Zeus is he's, like, The completely bland, useless, unqualified cis hat white man who gets to be the center of attention is what I was kind of referencing. I think a few episodes ago, where I was like, "To me, he always reminds me of like Rick in The Walking Dead, where it's like you are. Yep, like why are you the
0: central character? Why?
1: There's
2: no way anyone would still be alive.
0: Yeah, this is terrible. There's no fucking way. One
2: that says coral, coral. I know I don't know anything about the walking dead. Oh, cuz cuz his, cause his
0: son who is point. even worse
2: is named Carl. Carl yeah. Carl,
0: yeah. His son okay, is pretty sick. awful too. That's hilarious. A little fucking <laughs> sociopath. He's so, just a really useless character.
1: <laughs> oh, he's terrible. So, um yeah, no. So, I mean that's that's but I also feel like that's such a trope that we all have to deal with. Like I remember I watched season 1 of The Magicians and couldn't continue
2: because i i try i've tried to watch it so many times i,
1: could, that I don't
0: know what it is it's quentin I, it I think i have a friend, I I have a friend in that but i've never watched it either
1: <laughs> quentin is the reason the show is unwatchable because you insist on having everything revolve around this man who looks like a bowl of mashed potatoes who has a personality to match (laughs) who's a talentless piece of shit and a whiny little piss baby and we all have to fucking suffer because he can't make a decision or if he does it's a terrible one and it's like no absolutely not no 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 we're not doing that so just
0: not very that's not very compelling like no uh, experience
1: it for yourself the rest of us are bored just stop making plain douchebag cishet white men like the default, the, the always the protagonist, always the... No one fucking cares. Harry Potter's a fucking loser. May, the whole story should have been That's about real. Hermione. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Why, why is this completely generic non-entity the thing that we have to spend the most time with? You know, like, I couldn't get through Sabrina either. Because it's like, why is this not about the Weird Sisters? Why yeah. are we not centering the show on them? That at least has a fucking premise that we've already done with charmed like everybody would have tuned in for it it would have been way more dynamic Anyway, don't even. Fu- I can't even. I'm gonna like go on a full thing. Yeah, so I know, anyway, we're Freaking
0: out. We haven't even started talking about Zeus that much yet, and we're already all I right. know. We're well, worked uh, listen, up. <laughs> I'm really
1: triggered by Zeus. Yeah.
0: Okay, this is the trigger warning episode.
1: <laughs> um, in terms of our structure, we're gonna cover for each of the gods their origins, their purview slash domain, their friends and enemies, their children, where you've heard of them or your first experience of them. That's what we'll talk about. Uh, common misconceptions when we can address them. We'll also share some uncommon myths with you. And throughout, we're gonna talk about their epithets. Um. Which epithets are really important, especially when you talk about, like, Mediterranean, ancient Mediterranean religion. Um, Epithets are a second name that would come after the god's name that had a meaning, and sometimes it was used to denote a secondary god that got subsumed under the cult of that main god, right? Um, you'll see this a lot with like Greek and Egyptian gods. Uh, but then you will also see some that are very descriptive and they'll have a link to a specific myth, or they'll even be seen as a, a distinct face or um, side of that God that has very specific meaning. Um, and so some of the ones that we have for Zeus, for example, are uh, Zeus Cothonios, which is earthy or underworld Zeus. Um mm-hmm. It's, kind of debated because there's also zeus katakathonios which is zeus under the earth um him having an underworld aspect is not super common in greek myth but the sky god having an underworld aspect in general in the proto-indo-european continuum we're going to talk about in a minute is actually pretty common um zeus Mylikios, the kindly or honeyed zeus um, we also have, uh, Zeus Plosios, who's wealth-bringing Zeus. And then we have some of my favorites, which are Zeus Stratios and Zeus Labrandius. Um, these are two names for the same Zeus that was seen in more Eastern parts, where he's holding a labris, which is a double-headed axe, which is actually a symbol for lesbianism. Uh, and he's bearded and is covered in breasts.
0: What? Oh, wow. Um,
1: like the art? if you've ever seen Artemis of, at Ephesus, where she's just basically, like,
0: yeah. A head and then uh-huh. she's just rows of breasts. Those boobs,
1: yeah. yeah, there's a uh there's an equivalent one, I can't think of it off the top of my head, that is an epithet for Zeus or for Jupiter, which actually indicates his ability to breastfeed everyone.
0: It's because his mother was a goat. He's living up to his goat parentage. Certainly. We're still we're not gonna call him
1: goat boy, but I agree with that. But, absolutely. Uh, yeah,
0: <laughs> it's coming through a bit. <laughs> Um, we'll also be
1: talking about their attributes and iconology. They're pretty easy for Zeus. You know, thunderbolts, eagle, bull, oak, uh, the oak tree. Um, and we'll also talk about their sacred objects, preferred offerings, and taboos.
0: He is like a horrible Professor white guy. Oak. Imagine his tattoos. It's like an eagle. Ah, and like lightning <laughs> and like flames. Like, like it's, it's just it's, a
1: bunch of really badly done neo-traditional. You're just like, terrible. oh, stop. <laughs> oh, man.
2: Also, Professor Oak.
1: Um, Oops. Hello. <laughs> speaking of people I've called daddy at least once in my life
2: like the type of person to get a Professor Oak tattoo
1: oh no that no that would not happen but yes I Zeus
2: oh for sure Zeus would absolutely get a Professor Oak tattoo yes like with like like stone eyes for sure yeah um, I, I feel
0: <laughs> like he drinks like Coors Banquet like I really I'm <laughs> getting a really weird picture of him now
2: yeah no if he's like fancier than he'd have to be like some annoyingly fancy beer
0: oh like a microbrewery beer that's like undrinkable something
2: stupid yeah
0: or no no you know what he makes his own beer and makes all his friends drink it and it's horrible but like you can't say anything yeah
1: i imagine him trying to make beer and giving everybody on olympus a yeast infection
0: yeah yeah it's
1: just horribly (laughs) wrong So speaking of his uh, counterparts, uh, we are going to kind of start off each episode discussing the Roman versus the Greek version of each of these gods. But before we do that with Zeus, we do have to talk about the Proto-Indo-European sky slash thunder gods. And so basically what that means is there's this continuum of gods that basically stretches from South Asia all the way through the Mediterranean and sort of an archway through the Near East, where you find that there's a lot of common archetypes that are shared. And the one that is the most easily identifiable is the supreme god of a pantheon who's usually like a sky god and has something to do with like thunder. They share a lot of common attributes. Uh, For example, every single one that we know of, the oak tree is sacred to them. Which is interesting because statistically speaking, oak is usually the tree that is struck by lightning the most. Which means that ancient peoples most likely saw that and went, oh, that's the thunder god choosing which tree he likes. Which I think is just great and
2: yeah, practical. That makes sense to me. Yeah.
1: So examples of gods on this continuum, of course, would include Zeus for the Greeks, Jupiter for the Romans, the Slavic Perkuns, the um, South Asian Indra, as well as Deus Potter, which just basically means father God. There's versions of that kind of sprinkled throughout that, like there's Dis Potter, for the Romans, but there's also this. How is it said? There's a Greek one as well. There's also Thor for the Norse, and there's Tinia or Tin for the Etruscans. So you see it pop up all over. And a really famous classicist and historian, Georges Dumasil, basically said that the equivalent gods and in other Indo-European religions were basically an evolution from an from a naturalistic supreme celestial god who was identified with heaven to a and then this changed it's interesting when you look at like where each of them falls in that continuum because some of them kind of stay in that mode but then others like Jupiter for example, they would change to a god of sovereignty, a wielder of lightning bolts master and protector of the community. In other words what essentially happened historically is that a change occurred from a naturalistic approach to the world of the divine to a sociopolitical approach. To the world of the divine. But yeah, so we have all of these different gods who are very much similar. I mean, some of them even like the eagle is their attribute um, or, uh, you know, a lot of most of them also share that sort of nature of being um, incredibly prolific with or without anybody's consent and having tons of children.
2: Yeah, I feel like this is this is this is the part one of the parts that's really interesting to me about Zeus is like the lineage that like tracing of the sky god being re- related to like the sky father is very interesting to me because like the i think it the uh obatala is like the sky father as well and is also associated with like jupiter and order and a lot of those similar things though not li- necessarily lightning and oak um because i think probably shango is a closer uh, situation to Thor than Obatala. but like well that's then, why like, he's
1: he... syncretized with Saint Barbara because there's lightning in the background of her image.
2: Oh, I didn't know mm-hmm. that. that's cool. And then I think also about like Quetzalcoatl, like being like a sovereign and also being of the sky. Mm. So it's just like interesting to like have that kind of be a universal idea.
1: Yeah, I mean, basically, the the what we're kind of tapping into here is a theory called Proto Indo-European mythology because it's a body of myths and deities that are associated with a people who are hypothetical, uh, but there's a lot of evidence for the Proto Indo-Europeans who would who spoke a Proto Indo-European language that you see kind of shared throughout this continuum outside of the romance languages, because that was a move away from it, but they have a lot of shared like mythological themes. Basically all of them have a daylight or sky God. They usually have that his consort is the earth mother and that their child is the dawn goddess. There's always a set of divine twins. There is always a solar deity, um, usually a solar goddess And there's usually also a weather god, um, a a god of shepherds. So these are interesting archetypes if you think about them, because for basically any of the pantheons that I just listed earlier, you're going to have somebody who fills each of those spots. Mm -mm. So that being, like, the checklist almost really does make a lot of sense. But each of the gods that I listed, though, that are counterparts to Zeus are all also pretty wildly different. I will say out of all of them, he's definitely the biggest, like, frat boy of the bunch. Yeah. Yeah. And so that sort of leads us to, well, hey, what's the difference between Zeus and Jupiter?
0: That's, I was actually, I'm so glad you're talking about that, because I was about to ask about that, because I feel like I have a very different impression of them in my head, and so I don't know why that is.
1: Well, talk to me about that. So not necessarily knowing why, but tell me what the what is. What is your impression of Jupiter versus Zeus?
0: I guess I didn't study Roman as much as Greek, but I I feel like... Jupiter, as you just said, first of all, Jupiter doesn't seem like as much of a massive douche, but also doesn't seem in some way doesn't seem as like um, egocentric or like all like it feels like everything revolves around Zeus in a way that doesn't feel like that with Jupiter to me. If that I don't know if that's based in reality or just in my head, but no, that's
1: that's actually we're going to I'm going to kind of give you guys a breakdown and that lines up really well.
0: Well good. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Do you have any impressions about Jupiter before we
2: dive in either, Vince? Well, we we've talked about
0: it. Oh okay. So like
2: yeah. Oh I've tainted you. You already know your insider
0: knowledge.
1: Um, So as we'll discuss throughout our series, the Roman gods were held in much higher regard than the Greek gods in terms of their moral character. The Greek gods were basically a cautionary tale. They often modeled the worst aspects of human behavior and were only allowed to be that way because they're gods. The Roman gods, however, were often seen as the opposite. They were the moral compass by which one should be guided and that one should strive to be more like them in order to be a better citizen. Jupiter was far less tempestuous, less capricious, more logical, more refined. For example, there's no usurpation of Saturn, who is this counterpart to Cronus. Saturn is Jupiter's predecessor. And in some myths, he dies, which is not a violent thing. He just passes away. But in others, it's just Jupiter's time. Wow, so- that's
0: crazy already. That's so different, like mm-hmm. massively different.
1: Mm hmm. And so, Jupiter simply assumes the authority uh, when it's his time, and he makes the role his own. He does things differently than Saturn. Um, and Saturn is not deposed, not thrown into Tartarus, not. there's no war, there's no nothing. Saturn just kind of doesn't have to be the head honcho anymore, and but retains his roles. He's the patron of agriculture and agrarian society. He's the patron of money. And so... You know, that's part of it. Another part of it is that Zeus had much less to do with the daily affairs of the average Greek, whereas Jupiter was deeply involved with many aspects of daily life of the average Roman because he was seen as the protector and guarantor of personal freedom, honored oaths and good faith between the state and its citizens.
0: Wow, very different. Yeah, he's just, like,
1: way friendlier. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and more, like, intellectual, it sounds like.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, don't get me wrong. Zeus Thoughtful. was more than happy to meddle in the affairs of mortals. However, it was almost entirely to their detriment. So it's not It's not like I'm on an official business. Although he probably would say that and, you know, make a fake badge to get you to but do something. But his official
0: business was pretty ridiculous a lot of the time. Yeah. And self-serving. <laughs>
1: But their roles also differed in other ways. So, for example, both of them ruled the sky, but Jupiter was also the god of light, truth, and victory. He played a much more active role in protecting the sovereignty of Rome, warding off would-be invaders and securing peace. And as alluded to previously, Jupiter was viewed as stricter, more principled and disciplined, thoughtful, and responsible in his actions and reactions. He's the protector of the state, its laws, and the stability that they provide it. His temple was not just vital for religious reasons. His temple was the center of Roman political life. That's cool.
0: Yeah, very.
1: Also, it should be mentioned that the Romans had no equivalent for Olympus. Hmm. The gods that the Romans worshipped, they inherited from the Etruscans, from the, you know, different italic tribes, from the Latins. And basically, the gods were much more numinous to them in that Jupiter could be approached on any mountain or any high place in general. And this is sort of further illustrated in that his will was being made known, not just by oracles, but by omens. Because something else that the Romans... You have to understand, basically, the Romans inherited their entire system of religion from the Etruscans. The right. first two rulers of Rome were Etruscan kings.
2: Tarquins, right?
1: hmm And so the thing is, is that the Etruscans were deeply magical They they really based everything off of divination and performed it very regularly. And the Etruscans basically had an idea that the gods are literally always speaking through natural phenomena. And it's our job to observe nature through the lens of proper divination in order to decipher what they are saying. Hmm. With Zeus, yeah, you could go to the Oracle at Dodona, and then, you know, wind would pass through the branches of the great oak tree, and the leaves would rustle, and then the priest would say, ah, uh, this is what Zeus is saying. And, like, that would be about it. That's, like, your only chance, really. Whereas, um, you know, this, this sound of thunder or the appearance of lightning, the shapes of clouds, the flights of birds, changes in weather patterns could all be Jupiter speaking. And could be deciphered by any number of different uh, officials. And also, you know, the Etruscans were leading experts, basically, at haruspicy, which was when you sacrificed a um, animal to a specific god or to the gods, you would then cut out its liver and then you would check it for, like, its texture, discolorations, bumps, mm. malformations, anything like that. And they would literally read the liver And then they would be able to see, first of all, was it accepted by the god? It's, like, themselves or themselves. Did they accept it in our way in good standing? And also, they would get a sort of immediate readout of information that they needed to know at that point. Wow. Um, So, yeah, there's a lot more involved there that's less um, guesswork and more informed and, like, a constant flow of information. There's sort of a sense especially with ancient Greek religion that like you never really knew where you were at with the gods because the gods were so unpredictable, but because also there wasn't necessarily the, like the, the religious infrastructure to have any short footedness. Whereas right. with the Romans, you have to understand, like, going to the temple and, like, making your regular offerings to, the go- to each of the gods, like, there was a difference between public and private religion in ancient Rome, and you were expected to do both. But you had a lot more freedom in how you operated your home worship at your home altar. But your public religious experience was basically akin to, like, paying your taxes. There was no hubbub. You were supposed to be very middle of the road about it. No zeal. No, you know, fervor. You're not supposed to be, like, super over the top about it. You're supposed to go and you're supposed to basically make your offerings and then move on about your day to the next thing that you were going to do. It's an errand. It's just
0: part of life. It's just a regular
1: part of life because the Romans truly believed we are the supreme civilization on Earth because we honor the gods better than anyone else. And so if we falter, we will fall. Which is why they even had a temple to the unknown god, because they were so worried that they had missed somebody, that if that god came a-calling, there'd be regular offerings made right there that they could enjoy. So, yeah, basically, that is the difference there between the two. Um, One's a lot more even-handed, and I think definitely... Um, I think it's kind of hard in our current uh, world to say that there are benefits possible in a patriarchal system, but I think that there can be healthy benefits derived from a patriarchal figure, like a patriarch that sure. also has like yeah. a matriarch and like, more egalitarian processes. Jupiter definitely seemed to be a much more beneficial patriarch in providing stability and order that you would expect from that type of figure and a lot less of the instability that you would get from somebody like Zeus.
2: Yeah, I feel like even though, uh, because theoretically Jupiter picks up. Some characterization from Zeus, right? Because of like the Romans taking stuff from the Greeks.
1: Largely, the similarity is that the Romans saw how the Greeks depicted their gods and were like, we yeah. like how that looks. And right. so they used the art, but it depends on the god. Specifically, a lot of the gods were unaffected by any kind of Greek influence outside of visual depiction because they were a existing god. Some of them did morph and change. Jupiter is one of the most ancient of the Italic gods attested to, as is Juno, his wife. And so he he remains largely unchanged towards the whole Zeus thing. The only thing that sort of got incorporated was just him having a huge amount of children by a lot of different people.
0: I mean, I think a lot of my impression now m- makes sense. I was like, why do I feel this way? I don't really know that much about Jupiter. Like, why do I have that sense? And now that you said all that, it does make sense because it it's, it, I guess it's because Jupiter is much more involved mm. in like society. Whereas I feel like Zeus is just like, I'm the fucking king. Bring me a beer. Get the fuck out of right. here. Like, I'm, I want to do this. And then like, we'll ignore you because he doesn't care right now. It's like, he feels very just like king on his throne where like, Jupiter is, like, doing stuff, so it's more like, even though he is still the sort of Supreme King kind of figure, it doesn't, he feels, like, involved, and he feels like he comes down and does stuff, and, like, you know. It, it's like it, an it, actual it, dad. <laughs> yeah, like, a, like even though he may not be perfect or great either, he at least is, like, doing a job. You know, I think the
1: thing for me that actually kind of really clearly delineates what we're talking about is actually looking at Jupiter, the planet in terms of astrology, Mm -hmm. looking at the fact that each of the planets has two sides exemplified by the um, aside from the sun and the moon, because they only rule Leo and cancer. But each of the other of the seven classical planets, the five, when you go like, you know, you have like Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, each of them rules two signs. And one of the signs is an air or a fire sign, which is like like the sun side. And then you have mm-hmm. the earth or the water, which is like the moon side. And basically you have this sort of like duality of characteristics that have a shared thread, like a shared foundation, but they're embodied differently, right? So you have, what does Jupiter rule? Well, Jupiter rules um, expansion, growth, big ideas. And the big idea is that like, Mercury rules ideas, but it's like the small ideas of like, okay, I'm going to write a book, right? Whereas Jupiter rules the big ideas that shape societies, law, religion, philosophy, education, the the things that end up being like pillars, right? Now, on the other hand, Jupiter is also the planet that rules over indulgence in a lot of ways, that like cuz it also rules like festivities, right? Yeah. And so, if you have those two merged, then you have a really healthy balance. If you have more of one than the other, it doesn't necessarily work out that well. Yeah. So it almost feels like, oh, the sort of jovial king who is, you know, high on his own shit and always wants everything to be a party and it's all about pleasing him is still Jupiterian in energy. But the sort of philosopher king who is wise and who tries to seek stability for his society and wants to watch out for the greater good, like, those are both Jupiterian. But when they're imbalanced, you sort of get, like, Zeus and you get Jupiter,
2: yeah, which is yeah, is funny sense. to think about, too, because we started having a student government, like, kind of form this year in school. Cool. Um, and so, and I run it, and cool. astrology comes up a lot when we're making decisions, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Love that. Um, I think teaching has brought out uh, my, has helped my understanding of astrology and, like, you know, how it relates to a lot of other things so much because uh, I think it's, like, Like, when I'm teaching, it's, like, using the, like, all that Jupiter energy. Um, And I can see kind of the, like, when we're having those conversations about how we should structure a student government and, like, all the things to consider. Right. And, like, how I feel watching that of, like, I don't need to be involved in this. I'm just glad to be facilitating it in a way that, like, other people are growing. right? And, like, that feels super Jupiter. And, like, not Zeus Jupiter, but, like... jupiter jupiter Jupiter, Jupiter.
1: that i mean that makes sense (laughs) especially because oh by the way just a heads up the romans never called him jupiter really it's yeah it's actually an i there's no j um it's i so it's it's Jupiter. it's it's Jupiter and you know
2: that j thing when i when it first got introduced to me was like so shattering for so many reasons (laughs) and then i just like very casually forget it now but then i'm like Oh, yeah, that J didn't exist for a long time. Oh, yeah. Also, just uh, on that, like on, you know, linguistics, Mm -hmm. um, I heard recently that uh, in Greek there's, like, a breathing accent. So, like, a lot of the names that start with H don't actually start with H. It's, like, the letter that's after the H, and then you breathe into it. Mm-hmm. Which is just way more fun to say than, cool. <laughs> to say than like using the H. Go ahead and give us an example. Use Hestia. So instead of Hestia, it's Hestia. Where's so you like breathe Hest- into the e? Where's the breathe? Oh, breathing out
0: instead
1: of yeah. the H. You're like I thought yeah, you were saying of- breathing in like i had to be like and i was like oh no i'm gonna i'm gonna throw up like i can't do that that's
2: that's david draymond lee singer of disturbed um Um, so like instead of helios it'd be elios like you oh yeah no i've definitely heard that and that's like that's way more fun than like than the age <laughs> um so the next thing that we have for
1: Zeus is the royal retinue. Now remember, he's the king of the gods, and like all kings, he has many attendants. So, first, as we've mentioned previously, his throne is guarded by four winged figures: Kratos, Zelos, uh, Nike, and Bia. Uh, Kratos and Bia are basically his like goons in a lot of ways, or like his like muscly <laughs> like enforcer people. Um, and they use their strength to enact the punishments that he doles out a lot of the time. Like, most iconically, of course, is them, like, enacting the punishment on Prometheus. Oh, right. We have Nike, the divine charioteer. Uh, and she was also often pictured with him in miniature, like we said with Athena, symbolizing that victory was his and that he could give it. And nobody knows what Zealous did. You know, remember, it's Kratos was strength. Nike was victory. Bia was force. Zealous is zeal. And sometimes rivalry. So we... Know- Nobody knows what Zealous was doing around the throne, but we can guess that he was uh, pretty enthusiastic about whatever just it was. everybody
2: up. It's morale. I'm just happy
0: to be he, here. He actually yeah,
2: could be morale. the hype man.
0: He's morale. Yeah. He's the hype man. There you go. You get,
2: like, if Nike's going to be giving out victories, somebody's got to be celebrating about that. You know? You got to yeah. get everybody like,
0: oh let's go. <laughs> he sounds like the fun one to be. You're just like, yeah. Yeah, right? Like, I, I, enjoy,
2: I enjoy zeal. Um, yeah. Yeah personally (laughs) (laughs) um
1: then we have hermes now remember hermes is not just the messenger of the gods he does a lot of things and for zeus he's his personal herald and envoy and basically the olympian diplomat iris on the other hand come on rainbow bitch that's my girl um she did act as his messenger and would relay his words verbatim letting his will be known to the other gods which has to be a fucking drag for a job
0: Yeah, she's like, I'm so sorry. Oh, I hate
1: that I have to tell you this, but... And then she just, like, opens her jaw and out comes, like, a recording of Zeus and what he said. (laughs) You know? His words, not mine. (laughs) See you there. Now, also, he may not have acted like it, but he did indeed have counsel. I just want to point this out. (laughs) Zeus had Themis, the titaness of divine law and justice, Whitney Houston, Um, was always seen seated next to his throne. She was his great advisor, and she was often seen attended by her daughters. In this version, this is when the fates are his daughters. So by her daughters that she had with Zeus, the Moirai, who are the fates, and the um, Horai, who are the seasons. Who together were supposed to hold the cosmos together in form and in function. Themis had an additional job. It was her who would sound the call from Olympus when every god needed to appear for a major meeting or a trial. Because there are actual trials of the gods. I know We're going to get into that when we tell some of the stories about some of the Olympians. Um, where they get brought wow. before everybody on Olympus and they have to answer for their crimes.
2: No, oh, that's... So yeah.
1: There was also an eternal hearth fire in the Olympian palace, burning in the center of the Hall of the Gods, and it was the virgin goddess Hestia who would tend this flame, keeping it burning bright. And then we have Ganymede, or sorry, Ganymede. We have Ganymede and we have Hebe, who were Zeus's cupbearers, and they served ambrosia and nectar at the feasts of the gods. So they're catering. They hold cups. Yeah.
0: Yeah, catering. Yeah. And of
1: course, we have Pegasus, who, when he's on the move, apparently Zeus has Pegasus carry his lightning bolts. There's also four other immortal horses that would draw his chariot through the sky, the chariot that was driven by Nike. And, of course, Aquila the Eagle, who would go get his lightning bolts.
0: I was obsessed with Pegasus as a kid. Pegasus was my obsession.
1: We're going to have to talk about the Disney movie at some point. Yes. I... And I've been avoiding it because there's so many things about it. It literally gave an entire yeah. generation of people the entirely
2: wrong picture of Greek mythology.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I, it's very direct. I also
2: just, like, really don't... Like, I don't really fuck with a lot of the heroes, but the monsters are so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like... <sighs>
1: They didn't even really do the monsters that well, which really annoyed me. Like, yeah. Also, like the fact that Hera is just there being beautiful and doting on this little baby is the most offensive thing I think I've ever seen.
0: Yeah. And, and making, making Hades the bad
2: guy.
1: What is yeah. that?
2: Well, Sony, Sony made up for it by telling the story of God of War. And they were just like, this is how... <laughs> I guess... <laughs> 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 oh yeah so what i was going to say about that was
1: actually hercules never as far as i know never rode pegasus
0: yeah yeah
1: i thought that is was that just chi- uh what's yeah. his face bellerophon uh,
2: yeah
1: yeah but who we'll get into in our heroes episode which is not going to happen for a while oh no actually we might get into some heroes when we do athena because Athena's the goddess yeah, of the heroes the that's heroes, like her shit yeah. when she's not harassing haranguing attacking or transforming or murdering women She's helping out the heroes so that they can do it. So that's just a little uh, foreshadowing for how I feel about Athena. Yeah. <laughs> so just get ready for that episode. The next thing that we have sort of uh, on our docket is talking about Zeus as the punisher of impiety, which is like his favorite thing to do. And I got to tell you. <laughs> um, Same. <laughs> Some of these stories I'm gonna tell you, you you're you, just be prepared. You're gonna walk in ready to think that Zeus is wrong, and then you're gonna see what the fuck these people were up to and you're gonna be like, you know what? Sometimes I will say
2: sometimes he was like You know, yeah,
1: (laughs) Um, it doesn't forgive him for anything he's ever done, but it's like, you know what? I'm glad you're going to zap this motherfucker. Get to it. You know, (laughs) so our first one is Tantalus. Now, Tantalus was a king who had three children, Brodeus, which is the worst name I've ever heard. I was
0: going to say that is like, like, what is Brodeus?
2: Uh, Brodeus. Yo, Brodeus.
0: Let's go down to the bro.
2: certified dickhead. Oh,
0: my God. (laughs) You can tell he's awful. Right. Pelops, Pelops, and This guy was just bad at naming kids.
2: And Niobe. Yeah. Niobe's cool.
0: That's cool, and out of left yeah. field. <laughs> well, she's the only girl,
1: so it's two boys and a girl, and Niobe actually ends up being a queen later on, and then her whole life falls apart in front of her because she insults a certain goddess. Um, so, like many other figures <laughs> in Greek mythology, he was semi-divine but had no idea that he was born of the gods. In this case, Zeus was his father, which I kind of feel... <laughs> A little bit Gorgog about it from Dimension 20, (laughs) where I'm like, I feel like if I was in ancient Greece, I would at some point be asking everybody, are you my dad? You know, like, I feel like that's a thing. So Tantalus was a guy (laughs) with a lot of bad ideas. First, he somehow finds out that Zeus is his dad. And having been a pious man to that point, he was welcomed by Zeus to his table at Olympus. And then he had a bad idea. Possibly inspired by Prometheus, he decides to abuse Zeus's hospitality, which let's just mention yet again. Hospitality yeah. is literally like the most important of all Anything. of the laws for Zeus. Yeah. Zeus constantly has myths where he like disguises himself as like a beggar or a stranger to visit people. And if they don't give him the utmost hospitality, then he rains down terror upon them to illustrate the point that he's like, no, the the hospitality has to be upheld. So, he abuses Zeus's hospitality and steals the ambrosia and the nectar, which are the food of the gods, brings it back down to his own mortal people in order to try and make themselves divine. Wow. This did not last long. Zeus caught wow. him out caught him and and very generously, I would say, did not immediately kill him but threw him out of Olympus and stripped him of his partially godly nature. Hmm. Oh, that's not actually... That is a slap on the wrist. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: But, like we all know, if you give a man an inch, he'll call it six. (laughs) And also, he'll take a whole goddamn measuring system. So, you know, you got to be careful. So, Tantalus then has another bright, by which I mean bad idea. How could he possibly get back in his father's good graces? What sacrifice could he make that would be grand enough to regain his father's favor? And this is some like, this is
0: some wild. <laughs>
1: it's like, you've been blocked, sir. Move on with your life.
0: Just stop doing stuff. Just yeah. stop.
1: Like, you've d- Haven't you done it's enough?
0: Not... Yeah. This is not gonna work. Yeah, the
1: the the middle child Pelops, who we just talked about, who like kind of just didn't get a great name and doesn't really have much else going on.
0: We don't know who he is. Yeah, <laughs>
1: Tantalus kills him, chops him up.
0: What? T- Tantalus. He's ex- expendable, apparently.
2: It gets worse.
1: Yeah, Tantalus kills him, cuts him up, boils him, and creates a big old batch of Tantalus's spicy sacrifice stew.
0: I remember this now. Oh my god.
1: He hauls this (laughs) vat of horrors up to Olympus and apparently Demeter answers the door. Okay? You have to understand he got thrown out of Olympus. There's gotta be safeguards in place that don't let him back on. But apparently everybody else is like It's like like
0: the picture in the bodega. Like they put There should be
1: something that stops him. Bad
0: checks. Bad checks. But just
1: at that moment, Demeter is the one who answers the door, I guess. There are Ardu- the archway. <laughs> At this point, you've got to understand Demeter's in a bad way. She's not been herself for a while. Persephone's missing. She's flipping the fuck out. Nobody knows where she is. The people who do won't help her. Everybody's just kind of trying to like shrug her off. And
0: you know. She's not in a good position to be the security guard.
1: No, she's not in a good position to be doing really anything. So no. she's grief-stricken. She's not entirely present, I'll be honest.
0: So she just lets him in. She's like, whatever.
1: Yeah. He sets up his banquet for the gods. All the gods show up uh, from wherever the fuck they were. And there's Tantalus and his stew and Demeter kind of with a thousand yard stare absentmindedly eating the stew okay so it's also said sometimes that uh tantalus was actually not trying to regain the god's favor at all he knew he'd lost that and it was over he was actually attempting to humiliate them by testing their wisdom i.e their omniscience
0: that makes a lot of sense
1: yeah the gods immediately know something is up and they don't touch the offering i'm assuming one of them casually goes over and just sort of like gently takes the bowl away from demeter
0: (laughs) stop doing what you're doing (laughs)
1: Somehow they suss out his treachery, and then they force Tantalus to confess to what he's been up to. Immediately, Zeus summons the fates, informing Clotho of what happened, which I'm sure she already knew, and she had already known, and she already will know, and asks her what should be done. She states, such a violation of natural law demands restoration. So she gathers up the disparate parts of Pelops, boils them once more, but now in her sacred cauldron, and proceeds to try to revive Pelops. But we have a problem.
0: Demeter ate a bunch of it. Yeah. Demeter <laughs> ate the kid's <laughs> shoulder.
1: <laughs> now, luckily, Hephaestus is Johnny on the spot, apparently, and renders one from Ivory. And then gives it to Demeter to present to Clotho. But I'm assuming she's still totally disassociated at this point of, like, not really paying attention. So I'm glad she didn't, like, try to eat that, too. I don't know. <laughs> And then working her primordial magics, Clotho restores the boy to life. He emerges a youth of divine nature and extraordinary beauty, and Poseidon immediately falls madly in love with him. Wow. Which we will cover next week in our Poseidon episode. Poseidon.
0: Wow, he really that kid actually ended up getting the best side of this. Like this worked out really well for Boring Kid. I think like yeah he had to die and get partially eaten, but like eventually, it really came around for him.
1: Well, we haven't told this whole story, so I'm glad that you feel optimistic. It, it gets,
0: <laughs> I feel optimistic at this point. Doesn't end. I well.
1: feel like I gave a warning in our very first episode, which was: if you want to know the ending of any Greek myth, just assume no one's going to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. if they, if any okay. one person comes out happy, it will be Zeus. So, well,
2: hey, what about those twin brothers? The Windy Bros, yeah. as far as I know, are still the doing Bros. their thing. They're chillin'. and I the Windy Bros
0: <laughs> might be the best. They must. They're the best characters. They're the ones the, to be. I
2: think they might be a fan favorite. I yeah. yeah. I mean, I definitely we need Windy Brothers stickers
0: with their hair, their flapping hair. <laughs> Friends of
2: the podcast, the Windy Bros. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They're just both played by Owen Wilson in split screen. <laughs>
0: I kind of pictured them like Owen Wilson. Yeah,
1: I did too. I don't know why.
0: That's, that actually checks out.
1: But like Owen Wilson and Zoolander, when he was like young and yeah. actually kind of hot and had like that weird like denim on with the curly hair. Kind of
0: like busted face, but, but still hot for some reason. It's...
1: Well, it's like ugly, but make it fashion. It's that, okay. that yeah. thing, you know?
0: Flowing locks. Yeah.
1: Also
2: Tom Thornburg, though. Who?
0: Tom
2: Who? Th- Tom Thornburg. Who's that? The Wild Thornberries?
1: I've...
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. This podcast is just all me not getting references, I feel like.
1: I know. <laughs> I, just, I just looked up Tom Thornburg, and all I see is uh, UNC School of Government.
0: <laughs> yes, it's a ch- kid at college. Wait, wh- who is this? This man
1: is old. He's a professor. That's not who I'm talking
0: about. Uh, it can't be that. Well, right what is this ridiculously
1: niche reference that you're making right now? Put it in the chat. Yeah, drop Put a it link. in the chat. I'm,
2: gonna, I'm literally about to screenshot him right now. Oh my god, he better be fine as fuck. I'm oh, sorry, it's Tony, not Tom. My bad.
0: That.
2: Okay, Tony. It was a T name. There's T names. Give me a Drop
0: break. it in the chat. I want to see the window. Greta
1: Thurnberg. Okay. Oh, my goodness.
2: But when he has long hair.
1: Yeah. The, well, the first photo that popped wind. up was like, he looks like he's in a wind tunnel.
2: Oh, excellent. That's the
1: Windy Bros.
2: That's what I want.
1: So if you're playing the home game, we're talking about model Tony Thornburg. T-H-O-R-N-B-U-R-G. My God.
0: Is it him and Owen Wilson or just him double?
1: I kind of like the black and blonde contrast. Oh. Same. Same. But yeah. if that's the situation, you cannot have a man that looks like that standing next to Owen Wilson.
0: <laughs> no, you're. I, I agree. I, yeah, I, now that I've seen right him, here. I take it back. <laughs> or somebody
1: that looks more like an alien. Like, you could do Tilda Swinton with just, like, a platinum lace front.
0: That, pho- <laughs> that photo with the long hair, though. That's it. With right? the white pants yeah. and the long hair. Right? That's the Windy Bros. Right oh my there. god! What? Well, I think I-
2: Wait, but on a boat, on a boat, under under the sun, because they're a fucking Argonaut. Tilda
1: I Swinton sh- as Gabriel in Constantine.
0: One of my favorites. And things. him.
1: In that wind tunnel photo. Yeah. <laughs> yes,
0: that actually That's works. That's it.
2: That's the Windy Bros.
0: The Windy Bros are, do all wear white and like tall and white dress. You but know, like not
2: like, on purpose. <laughs> they just keep happening to like find yeah, clothes just, that are that they color. They just have the
0: same style. And they're like, oh, I
2: guess we will put these on.
1: Everybody else is just covered in like dirt and shit and rusty armor in the boat. And they're just like, no, it. it's and just a beautiful. soft whistle of wind <laughs> around, like, just, just looking beautiful around. Beautiful Everything hair. is breezy and they look like they're on a cruise. <laughs> <laughs> I love the
0: Windy
1: Bros.
2: <laughs> Woody Bros <laughs> <is> for life. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, yeah, so basically, you know, things uh, we're hoping are going to work out real nice for Pelops. Well, I don't feel good about this anymore.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You gave away too much in the preview. Oh,
1: (laughs) well, so the thing is, is that this story was actually one of the most well known of all the myths in ancient Greece to the ancient Greeks, because it was the universal mile marker of morality that denounced cannibalism and the and filicide, which is the murder of one's own children as like taboo atrocities.
0: It is pretty bad. It's a pretty bad yeah. It's not great. Kill, kill your kid and make stew and feed it to the gods. It, like, or try Not it's good. It's not very good. Don't it's do not
1: that. Good. So what happens to Tantalus? Well, he's thrown into Tartarus, where he's forced ah, to baby. stand in a pool of water beneath a tree with low branches. Every time he attempts to bend down and drink the water, it recedes. Every time that he tries to get some of the golden juicy fruit from the branches, they raise up out of reach. And this is why his name is the root of the English word tantalize.
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah.
1: Next we have Lycaon, who learned nothing from Tantalus. We mentioned <laughs> We mentioned him last week as one of the prime causes of the Jacalian flood that he had sacrificed his son to Zeus possibly. Well, let's get a little more specific. Here's the thing. Um he's one of those guys who has like a fleet of sons and they're all horrible and he doesn't believe they've ever done anything wrong. Uh Yeah, just like a Uh scourge of the earth type situation. It's said that he had 50 sons by many different women and that they were dangerous, rowdy, lawless, and chaotic. Okay?
0: I can see them. I can just... Oh,
1: (laughs) yeah. It's... Please. Um, So Zeus, as the gods were wont to do, but specifically Zeus, does the little thing that I just talked about earlier. He shows up disguised. Sometimes they say it's a pilgrim. Sometimes they say it's a beggar. And, like, Han and his sons welcome him in, but they immediately suspect that this might be a god. I think it's because he's probably <laughs> wearing, like, tattered cloth, but there's gold light radiating out from yeah. behind it. Yeah. Because, you know, if there's ever a word you would use to, use to describe Zeus or his tactics, it's the word subtle. So oh. I'm sure that there's absolutely nothing going wrong here. So this is the thing that I love. They're so douchey and out of control that they're, like, hey, I think this is a god. You know what we should do. We should serve him human flesh. What? To
0: Why is everyone doing to this? To test whether
1: or not he's a god. I don't know. Nobody wants that. I don't know what was going on in ancient Greece at this time, but they had a lot of stories about like, hey, guys, cannibalism is actually really bad. <laughs> <laughs>
0: someone tried it and, yeah I don't,
1: know. I don't know i don't know if there was a need for that much public programming to be like hey don't fucking do that
2: well maybe after the whole like dimmer making shit cold and there not being a lot of food they're like but should we eat each other and they had to like have stories of like hey no 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 <laughs> Just remind no mind, and remind definitely don't do cook this. your babies yeah don't do that
0: and don't feed it to the gods. They don't like it.
2: No. Yeah, they don't. <laughs> no, no, no.
1: So basically, you've got these 50 idiot sons, um, which, by the way, in most of the telling, Zeus just does like a real quick count. And there are 49 sons left.
0: Ah. Well, we see where that, yeah.
1: One has disappeared. Um, that one was named Hamburger Helper, I guess.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and is now the macaroni in the pot. The soup. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and so basically, so they seek to test him and they, by serving him human flesh, one of their brothers, it's at this point that Zeus goes full Jesus with the money collectors in the temple and flips the table. And then one of three things happens. This is a choose your own adventure moment. Everybody pick the one that you like the most.
0: Okay, here we go. He
1: throws off his disguise and immolates Lycaon and all 50 of his sons on the spot. That's pretty good. He whistles and down comes Pegasus or the Eagle or both loaded with lightning bolts. And then he just, like, snipes each one of them slowly. (laughs) Okay. Or he transforms them into the first wolves.
0: I don't want them to be wolves, though. Yeah. Like, I am imagining them, like... The Greeks were
2: scared of wolves, though, right? Yes, the Greeks are very scared of wolves.
0: I mean, it makes sense, but I don't even want to give them that much credit. I imagine these kids, like that like swoopy hairdo, like uh, you know um boat shoes and like collared you know like short sleeve collared shirts in like every color of the rainbow oh you know, no 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 you know I, then i
1: have mistakenly portrayed them they are very much um i, I would see them more as did you ever watch the uh, vampire diaries or the originals no no okay um hmm. they're they're more like they're not I privileged think of them as like
2: I think of them as like fifty of the two bad guys from the original Power Rangers that would like bully them at school and like. So they're
0: not like Brock Turner kids. Not at all.
2: No, they
1: very much are how usually you see werewolves depicted.
0: Like they're like their their dad's a biker.
1: You know what I mean? They're trying to prove themselves. You know they're misguided.
0: Some of them are probably okay, well, I good. I like that slightly more uh, or okay. less, slightly less. Yeah. Okay. So I think then I'm going to have to go with the, I don't know. Those are all good choices. It's
1: one of those things where I think essentially it's become so toxic and untenable at that point that it was just heading for disaster no matter what. It's number two for me.
0: I think number two also. I think well, I have to the go the number slow, two. The slow, agonizing lightning bolt sniper. Yeah. Well, I want to see it's... each one of them end. Okay, it does sound more. I was thinking if this was a movie, that's the most exciting one because it's like it's like um, Kill Bill when she like takes out you know like a hundred yakuza. I think that could be fun. Only okay, to, I'll like, take that.
1: I agree. If there is a moment at which the last son standing. He takes a lightning bolt, bends him over, smacks him on the ass, and gets, That's what you get for fucking around with yakuza's. Yep. Go home, <laughs> <to> your mother.
0: <laughs> I also just want an appearance by Pegasus, just like any oh, Pegasus appearance. For sure, like my, my childhood is yes. like fulfilled. See,
2: for me, I think like obviously I'm interested in um, revealing immolation from my being, and that just vaporizing people. That's obviously really cool, but. Right in terms of prolonging the amount of time I'm going to enjoy enacting that judgment like emulating everyone's cool but I don't get to enjoy it as long
0: I agree I think that's like the cool visual though but
2: my favorite is like in number two is like I might miss on purpose just a few times just because I can because what are they gonna do they can't get away just to give them hope <laughs>
0: It's terrifying,
2: and uh just like oh man, and then just watching them fall, and then knowing that each time that happens, it's increasing the fear in the the remaining ones.
0: Man, you really hate them.
2: I mean, <laughs> at that point, right? Like, we're, we're yeah, there.
1: I feel like we're getting a really colorful explanation of how you're running this student government. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, damn, <laughs> this
1: is
0: terrifying. All right, Dakota, what's your pick?
1: You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat a little bit, and I'm going to offer something I think all of us can agree on. I actually think if this was a video game, all three of them would happen. So you th- you'd throw off the cloak. Yeah. Immolation would be area of effect. You'd have your long-range attack to get, like, the medium group that had gotten somewhat far away from you with lightning bolts. And then the stragglers wolves. And then you would go get the last ones and turn them into wolves and then move on. Yeah, Yeah.
0: That's the coolest version for sure. Uh, yeah, I, to me, I think that kind
1: of covers the basis, and almost, it also seems almost more realistic. Like, if I if this was happening in a movie, to me, that's what would happen. Mm. If I actually did have to pick one, it actually would be the third one. Wolves. Yes, and I have some more information for you about this, because it should also be noted that Zeus had an epithet, Zeus Lycaos, which means Wolf Zeus, or Zeus the Wolf. This was used in his connection with Lycaea, an ancient nocturnal festival with secret rites performed on Mount Lycaon, or Wolf Mountain, Supposedly, it was a rite of passage for young men who would be expected to eat human flesh and then would become werewolves of some sort. That's
0: cool. There's way too much cannibalism happening here all of a sudden.
1: Well, I think it's supposed to be that the myth is, especially because the guy's name is Lycaon, Mm -hmm. I think it's supposed to be like a divinized or mythologized version of, we don't do that anymore. That's not what we're doing. Mm -hmm. That's a really ancient ritual that we're not into anymore. But I also kind of love how werewolves work in ancient Greece, because, like, that part of eating human flesh and becoming a werewolf actually is somewhat, it is kind of something that you see elsewhere. Like, for example, like, engaging in cannibalism is what makes you a skinwalker in, like, the American Southwest in a lot of Native American and indigenous stories. And then also, it had nothing to do with the moon. Like, there's, like, one story of, like, a guy who becomes a wolf and then becomes a human again nine years later, and then that's it. Huh. Huh. Which yeah. I kind of yeah. feel like you just left your family and tried to come up with a story.
0: No yeah, I was a wolf this yeah. whole time. Hilarious.
1: Our, our next son of a bitch is Ixion.
0: Ixion,
1: I'm going to tell you right now, I was pretty disappointed with this one because I had only ever heard of the name Ixion as a badass lightning horse that Yuna summons in Final Fantasy X. But this guy was a real <laughs> fucking schmuck. Basically, he gets married to a woman named Dia, promising her father a valuable bride price. Bride prices are like the opposite of a dowry, because like the parents have to provide the dowry, the parents of the bride. In this case, the custom would be that if you wanted to marry this woman, then you had to give her father at her father's house, some sort of bride price. So he promises Mm. him the world for a bride price. And so he consents to the marriage. Then he never pays it. So her father is of course, furious at this betrayal. And so he decides to get even by stealing some of Ixion's famous horses. And that could have been it, but no. Ixion acting all magnanimous invites the father over like for a feast. And when he arrives, Ixion walks up, greets him, hugs him warmly, and then pushes him into a bed of burning coals, oh what? Mm-hmm. Oh here's the thing. There was the concept of I guess something akin to sin in ancient Greece, and it was something that polluted you. It defiled you, and you had to go through where we get the word catharsis from, which was a ritual purification to purge it from you. And if you were polluted or defiled by unlike like uh super taboo acts, they could affect you very severely. This act defiled Ixion and drove him completely mad, but his neighbors were so disgusted with what he had done that no one would perform the rites of absolution needed to restore him. Oh, shit. Ooh. This is also, by the way, considered the first instance of mortal kinslaying in Greek myth, and it's used as a cautionary tale. Hmm. Now, what he had done was enough for him to be punished pretty terribly, and probably end up in Tartarus. However, Zeus, really being consistent, watched him as he wandered, raving mad, and took pity on him. He invited him to feast with him and the other gods on Olympus... Maybe hoping, I guess, that it might function like a factory reset and restore him back to himself. But Ixion shows up and almost immediately violates hospitality by openly lusting after Hera. Wow. Zeus gives Mm -hmm. him a pass, if you can believe it, but gives a (laughs) stern warning, trying to snap him out of it. Basically saying, like, like brandishing a lightning bolt and saying, you You need need to calm down and put your (laughs) dick away. We're trying to eat. (laughs) Now, to see if it worked, because I'm assuming he wasn't getting very coherent answers from Ixion at this point. Zeus, in his genius, Uh shapes a cloud into the semblance of Hera. And because nothing can be simple, the clouds, by being shaped by Zeus, have life breathed into them. And this creature is known as Nepheli, which if you caught Nephilim, that's a thing. Yeah. So, of course, Ixion rapes the clouds. And out of this union is born the first frat boys on wheels, the centaurs.
0: Oh, my.
1: Yes. Huh. <sighs> this is my favorite part. Ixion was cast from Olympus down to Earth, where Zeus instructed Hermes to bind him to a winged wheel of fire that would spin eternally. Zeus then places this in the sky as the new sun for a time. What? <laughs> I guess to give Helios some time off after the chariot
0: incident. Got a vacation. The chariot thing is hard. Yeah, it's getting over it.
1: Bereavement leave. I don't know. Um, But it wasn't before long that Helios was back at work. And so the spinning wheel of fire was thrown down where it belonged in Tartarus.
0: Wow. The spinning eternal wheel of fire that you're tied to. That's a pretty bad one. Yeah,
1: that's a whole mood.
0: That is.
1: And then last we have Salmonius. Now, if you're wondering where the hell I put Sisyphus, I'm going to deal with him in another episode. So we have his brother, Salmonius, who's also a giant prick. <laughs> He was a king, and everyone hated him. Oh, great. He was overbearing, and he was foolish because he was very impious. He refused to honor the gods, and he basically kept getting pressed by his advisors and by the people who lived under him. You have got to start worshiping the gods. Stop it. Basically, one day, he snapped on everyone and decided that he was going to command all of the people that he ruled over to worship him under the name Zeus. Zeus.
0: Oh, wow.
1: He then went ahead and built a bridge made out of bronze over which he would charge his chariot at full speed as it dragged metal behind it. And he cast torches into the air. Wow. The sound was to imitate thunder. The torches were to imitate lightning. And he had everybody basically calling out the hymns to Zeus to him as he was doing this. Cult
0: leader.
2: Honestly, that's this, pretty legendary.
0: Yeah, that's pretty epic. I
1: This guy is insufferable. I just I all I wanted was for this to evolve into the first drag show. Right. And I'm telling you right now, he gets dragged, so I guess it works. Pat. Zeus, of course, notices this. Yeah, it's like, hello, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I, I see everything, I'm right here. And destroys him with not one lightning bolt, a continuous hail of (laughs) lightning bolts until there's nothing left.
0: Damn, the eagle was busy this day.
1: Yeah, I feel great about this one. I'm like, yes, Zeus, that's absolutely correct. You should have done that. Now, Salmonius would also end up in Tartarus, though we don't know what happened to him. I'm assuming they clamped his nipples to a car battery or something since Tartarus is, you know, basically Gitmo. (laughs) I also feel like maybe... He's in Tartarus, but they didn't have a punishment for him because he's, like, a speck of dust left behind. Yeah, he's, yeah. Just,
0: he's just, like, floating around.
1: <laughs> well, I imagine now he's those little, like, coal dust specks from Spirited Away that they oh. feed the little candies to.
0: That was brazen, that last one. I like that he's just okay. like, I'm your fucking god now. <laughs> That's, that's pretty epic. Openly
1: throwing the gauntlet at Zeus and being like, come at me, bro. Yeah. Knowing full well Zeus, has, Zeus will make yeah. the time. So next we have, I want to tell you less punishment, but we're going to talk about Zeus's lovers. Yay! <laughs> Which and ones? we're putting lovers in quotation. Yeah, I was
0: going to say lovers. Hmm. So the thing you have to know about
1: Zeus overall is that he's a shape-shifting creep supreme. Zeus would prey on many mortal women, including Leda in the guise of a swan, Europa as a bull, Danae as a shower of gold.
0: Oh, that was always my favorite.
1: <laughs> Alcimene, who is the father of Heracles, uh, as her own husband, Callisto as Artemis, because they were in love with each other, and Antiope as a satyr. <sighs> That's not even the whole list. So, <laughs> just There you go. Just to give you a little flavor. But this is a queer podcast, and for better or worse, we now have to talk about when he wasn't targeting women. First up, we have Euphorion. Euphorion has maybe the coolest birth. I don't know. It it ranks up there. Okay, so apparently Achilles, who, remember, Achilles' great love in life was Patroclus. Okay, so take this with a grain of salt. Apparently Achilles and Helen of Troy got together while they were co-ruling the Elysian fields in the underworld. Uh And they managed to have a son, named Euphorion, who was born and came out as a winged daemon of plenty. Oh, sick. He was magnificent to behold because of his strength and beauty. And it's said that Euphorion was maybe full of hubris or like incredibly naive and probably born full grown, but not knowing anything figured out that he had wings and said, I'm going to fly as high as I can. So he gets out of the end of the world, flies as high as he can up to the heavens and Zeus like clotheslines him. (laughs) I'm assuming this is after Daedalus and Icarus where he's like another one of these fucking mortals got a pair of wings. (laughs) (laughs) Like this is not how this was supposed to go. So Euphorion is buffeted back and obviously taken aback because he's like brand new. That's the moment that Zeus beheld him and was instantly enthralled by his beauty and began to pursue him. Hmm. Now, Euphorion understandably fled, rejecting Zeus's advances, if that's what it was. Creepy. Yeah, Zeus chases him across the sky and they're in this hot pursuit, darting high and low until they were over the island of Milos. When Zeus... His fury and frustration, I guess, overtaking his lust, strikes down the beautiful Euphorion with a bolt of lightning. What? <laughs> Euphorion's body falls to the island and the nymphs who reside there, who saw everything, mourn the death of the innocent god. You know, not only did they witness the pursuit in the sky, they probably know all too well exactly what he was trying to escape. Yeah. Not satisfied with murder alone, Zeus descends to the island and forbids the nymphs from offering Euphorion a proper burial, denying him the dignity and sanctity afforded to all.
0: All because he wouldn't bang him.
1: Right. On the spot without ever In speaking. In the sky, yeah, just yeah. randomly. After getting punched after, or whatever. Yeah, after
0: getting attacked. <laughs> like,
1: well, I can't imagine why he was thrown off and didn't instantly say yes.
0: This hasn't been very romantic.
1: <laughs> no, not at all. Now you know, Zeus makes his proclamation and then leaves confident that no one would ever defy him. But the nymphs had other plans in mind. Yeah, nymphs. The nymphs defied Zeus and gave him the most lavish funeral rites anyone had ever seen, singing songs in his honor. Mm. Zeus, hearing their songs from on high, turned to face them with spite in his heart, and he transformed the entire community of island nymphs into frogs. Oh. Oh. But even Zeus was astonished to hear their song continue, unbroken and uninterrupted, but now in a chorus of ribbits and croaks.
0: Oh, that's very sweet.
1: (laughs) So it came to be known that the songs of the frogs were in mourning for the death of the proud but innocent Euphorion.
0: Oh, that's a sort of a sad, sweet one. Euphorion.
1: Next, we have Phaenon slash Phaeton. Now, remember, we talked about Chariot Boy.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: And that's, there's two tellings that deal with him. One is he's Helios' son, and you get Chariot Boy. Right. The other is he was crafted by Prometheus out of clay. In this telling... And mind you, everywhere that you read it, it's either Phanon or Phaeton, and unfortunately, one is Venus and one is Jupiter, and like they always switch the names, so I'm just going to say Phanon. It's the same guy. It's the same guy that's supposed to either, he's Chariot Boy or he's this, okay? Crafted by Prometheus out of his clay, Phanon was exceedingly beautiful, and Prometheus, full of foresight, was all too aware of Zeus and what happens when a beautiful youth catches his eye.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think the frogs are still singing when this happens. Jesus. So he decided to hide him away, planning to secret him off Olympus to freedom. However, what he did not know was that Eros had been flying overhead at the moment of Phaeton's breath of life and witnessed the stunning beauty of Prometheus' handiwork. Eros had already been heading to see Zeus on some business and just happened to casually mention the beautiful youth that he saw when flying overhead, complimenting prometheus's skill well
0: this didn't work out well zeus
1: immediately demands an introduction and prometheus has no choice but to comply it's said that when the two entered the same room they fell madly in love on sight However, one day, Phanon was tragically killed. This is never explained. So Zeus immortalized him not as a constellation, but as the planet Jupiter. Hmm. Other versions state that Hermes happened to be there for this whole thing as well and also fell madly in love with Phanon on site and then went to use his cunning to steal him away from Zeus, promising Phanon immortal life, which was something that Zeus had neglected to offer. So Phanon went with him. And it was Hermes who transformed him into Jupiter. Although I don't really understand why that would be the logical thing if you're trying to steal him away. But fine. No.
0: That, at least that one's consensual-ish.
1: Yeah, as far as we know. I mean, you gotta take it with a grain ish, of salt. But. Yeah. <laughs> we have next my, my favorite one because Zeus is actually a good guy in this. What? And it's also kind of about the mechanics of like a poly relationship with multiple partners and different dynamics. Amphiarus was a celebrated heroic warrior and the husband of Erophile, who was the beloved, Arophile was the beloved of both Zeus and Apollo, and the lover of his charioteer Baton. So why are we talking about Amphiarus? Well, it seems he was in the middle of a great battle when Zeus intervened. You see, Aerophila had made Zeus swear to keep his husband safe in battle. So just as he was about to be killed, Zeus forced the earth to open up and swallow him whole, keeping him safe until the battle was over and the enemies had departed. After Amphiaris was reborn out of the earth, he became a renowned oracle and was also a master of divination he went on to found an incubation temple at Aropas, where lay folk would come and spend the night in the sanctuary so that he and the priests that he had taught could interpret their dreams. Hmm. After his death, he ascended to godhood and had Olympic-style games held in his honor. Also, in most versions, baton, that charioteer... Um, had actually been with Amphiarus when all this was happening during the legendary battle because he was driving the chariot. Oh, So what happened to him? He gets to quit his day job and he becomes a semi-divine warrior who went on to achieve many victories for Greece. After his death, he was venerated at a sanctuary built in his honor at Argos.
0: That worked out nicely. <laughs> for once, right? Yeah. <laughs> it worked out great <laughs> for everyone. I like the idea of just being like sort of swallowed by the earth for a, for a minute. Like, I'd like that when something really when shit's going down, just like this sort of like the earth just like opens up and you just kind of fall into your little. Yeah, it's like
2: what are are other people going to say? Like the earth literally swallows. Yeah, sorry,
0: I'm I'm out. I I had no choice.
2: (laughs) There are a lot of times
1: when I want to nope a situation. And if I was able to just like have the earth swallow me so I could just nope whatever was happening in front of me. Oh, yeah. I don't know how much you guys would ever see of me again.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll be honest. Just hang out, just stay down there.
1: <laughs> That's it. I'm sure I could record from there. I don't think there'd be an issue. Oh, yeah, we can <laughs> the podcast. Um, so our last alleged lover of Zeus, and I say alleged because obviously consent matters, is Ganymede. Ganymede was a young Trojan prince and divine hero. Homer described him as the most beautiful of all mortals. Wow. Zeus descended upon him where he was tending his flock of sheep on Mount Ida one day Zeus in the form of a great Eagle snatched him up and carried him off into the heavens to live with him on Mount Olympus as his lover Ganymede was granted immortality and eternal youth and was installed as the divine cupbearer, taking the place of Hebe, who was relieved of her duties when she was married to Heracles. Uh. It is said that Zeus compensated Ganymede's father with the gift of some divine horses. <laughs> Later, there was a famous shrine to Ganymede at the Temple of Peace in the Roman Forum, which, according to many classicists and historians, was used as a cruising spot for male lovers in ancient Rome. This story, the story of Zeus and Ganymede, was the divinization of the Greek practice of pederasty. And here is a good place to point out that pederasty was the standard in ancient Greece, and that there is a radical, undeniable difference between modern homosexuality, pederasty, and pedophilia. This was not just a different society. It was an entirely different worldview. The Greeks practiced a homosocial culture, and that's where these things are very often found. A homosocial culture is where the two traditional binary genders are deeply, usually legally, segregated. There are microcosms of this still seen today in fraternities, boarding schools, monasteries, prisons, and the military, and this was instituted and upheld through the practice of pederasty in which the Erastes, or lover, the older dominant partner, would choose a youth known as the eraminos or beloved. The Erastes was usually in his earlier mid-twenties and was expected to be the mentor, lover, and instructor of the Ereminos during his transition into manhood modeling the social, religious, and legal customs and mores. It should be noted that the ages of the two individuals could vary wildly. The Araminos could be anywhere from 13 to 30, and the Erastes did not have an upper age limit, though there is some evidence that it was much preferred that they be close to each other's age. The two would enter into an official period of courtship, sanctioned by the younger partner's parents, at the end of which the Araminos was fully allowed to decline the relationship. It was the Erastes, the older individual who was supposed to court the younger individual to convince him to go with him. The Erastes would often offer many gifts to the Araminos. Uh, One of the most common of these was called a Kalos vase, which often showed the one being courted's name, dedicating it to them. And it usually depicted Ganymede being carried off by Zeus as an eagle and Usually would also feature decorative elements like roosters and rabbits, which were common courting gifts. So either the image would be there or they would also offer the Araminos roosters and rabbits as courting gifts.
0: Imagine if somebody just gave you a rabbit? Yeah. Like, I have a crush on you. Here's a rabbit. I don't know about that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I I don't need you to get me any animals ever. It's said that, that the younger party, who could be as young as 13, could refuse consent, could, could turn away the Erastes. And there is documentation this did happen. But you have to remember that this was universally practiced by everyone who was above a certain station in society. This is what was done by everyone from sort of the middle class all the way up to like the ultimate elites did this thing, right? How comfortable this would have been for you and how gently you would have been treated was definitely related to your stature and your station or the station of your parents in society. Mm. If the Araminos did consent, the next step would be what was called Harpagmos, Harpagmos was the name for the ritual abduction of the Araminos by the Erastes, where the youth would be carried off to a fraternity house or into the wilderness to be initiated into manhood through a series of rituals lasting about two months. This pretty much always included sexual acts. It is crucial to note here that once his consent was given, if it was in fact freely given, because we are talking about somebody who's between 13 and 30 here, Or if his consent was sought at all, because that whole class thing as well meant if a super upper class man was interested in your son, you would not deny him that.
0: So I get get that they got kidnapped as like a ritual, but you're saying Mm -hmm. that there was also courtship. Did that happen after the kidnapping or before the kidnapping? Before. Okay, so there was a courtship and then the kidnapping happened when it was already kind of a done deal. That was like yes. the that's how it's, was like, that's oh, literally no. like the
1: starting of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, I see. Okay, so it's like a, it's like a planned...
1: No, it's a whole theatrical thing. The parents are supposed to act freaked out, where's our child, but they already know, right.
0: After they've already decided this is what's going to happen. Right, right, right. And the kid already is in on it. Like, like, at this such and such a date, I'm going to be taken to my new, you know.
1: No, actually, there's a lot of conjecture that the kid would not be told.
0: Oh, so the kid's not in on it but everyone else no. everyone else the says.
1: parents know everybody else knows the kid it's ah. supposed to be like a surprise for the kid in terms of a traumatic experience really when and how the it idea happens. that like yeah. This will make him harder. This will make him a man gotcha. going through this whole experience because it's the getting him cut away from his home. Gotcha. Right. And making him independent, I guess. Mm-hmm. So Terrible. anyway, it is important to uh, note again that if his consent was given after the courtship, uh And if it was, in fact, freely given or even sought at all, that it could not be retracted at any point after this. Uh Uh-huh. Weird. There's a couple things we should nail down here. How is there a difference between pederasty and pedophilia? Well, both existed in ancient Greece. One was seen as noble and contributing to the stability of society. It was a matter of fact. It was a way of life that everyone was expected to engage in if they were of any meaningful social status. Pedophilia, on the other hand, was treated much as it is today. That is, pedophiles are seen as perverts who prey on, on children. It should also be mentioned that there was an age limit for the Araminos, the younger one. Mm -hmm. He had to be as tall or taller than his erastes or his father, depending on where you were. And he had to have at least gone through his first growth of facial hair. Now, I, for one, could grow a full beard at 13 and was already the same height as my dad. Yeah,
0: that's kind of a weird arbitrary. uh (laughs) Right.
1: So this proposition would have been terrifying to me. So I'm presenting this information not to condone pederasty. Obviously, that's something you need to understand if you haven't picked up on it already. We're trying to give you the most informed thing of what we're talking about. Because if we don't represent it honestly, then we don't know what it is that we are condemning. And it's too easy and it lacks nuance and it lacks understanding of the culture that we're talking about at large, especially as queer people when you just say, oh, that's pedophilia. it, it But it, it wasn't, though, because that society did not view that person as a child. We must also at the same time acknowledge that this is not a specific focus on male youth either, because remember, men in their 30s were regularly marrying girls in their early teens. Yeah. Now, there's no real difference between pederasty and the arranged marriage of one's young daughter. The child in question has no agency. They're given no option to decline. There supposedly are if they're a boy, but we don't know. They are unable to revoke consent. That's true for all of them. And that is the key factor that shows that this is an unethical and unsustainable approach in today's world of course there were many virtues to pederasty in the time and the culture in which it was a social institution it held up and perpetuated social educational religious legal and overall civic order that of course you don't see in the marriage like just marrying off your baby girl who's like 11 to some you know 30 or 50 year old man for his exploitation or consumption basically because you're trying to do a land merger or something like that But the thing is, if there was any such virtue to pederasty, it's entirely negated by some simple truths. There were no alternatives. There was no consent. And there really is no situation where you could have pederasty today. Pedophilia still exists. Pederasty doesn't. Because it was a social institution and that society doesn't exist anymore in that configuration where this would be a thing.
0: That's why it's probably kind of hard to understand for us or like, you know, harder to understand. It's like there's just no equivalent.
1: We don't have the context.
0: Yeah, there's no equivalent Yeah, we don't
1: have the context. But there are equivalents throughout history, actually, though. Sure. There are other homosocial situations where something like this occurs. And and I think actually, Vince, you and I had talked about this previously. Overall, what I'm saying is, is that we don't get to be revisionists and act as if the practice had no merit. But we also don't get to romanticize a practice which violated the consent of children and was carried out out in a culture and an age which we will never know there have been far too many gay men in the past who have waxed poetic about pederasty either completely ignoring its actual practice and whitewashing it as if it was like just modern homosexuality between two consenting adults that lines up with today's values and there's also been others who have attempted to romanticize preying on young boys who they groom for sexual exploitation and abuse somehow grounding it in like a bygone era they want to revive yeah both of these are repugnant and Should not be done. You have to look at the thing honestly to honestly judge it. And so obviously, we don't condone pederasty. It also doesn't exist, it's not a thing anymore. But you have to know what it is so that you understand, like, this is the foundation for why in the West queer people have been con- have been conflated with pedophiles. Yeah,
0: you start to see for it. For you start to see it. All you connect. start to
1: see like, oh, there was a big blurred line there for there a was while. A weird link. Oh, okay, yeah. you know. I I feel like again, like we have to do our due diligence, as- especially as a queer podcast, to say mm-hmm. like hey, I'm not just going to call them Zeus's lovers because he raped 95% of them. Like, that's not a thing, you know? And like, hey, we're going to have to probably have a real conversation when we do our Hera episode and several other episodes about how, like, you're married to your brother. What's that like, you know? (laughs) The thing is, is that like this is the terrain that we're treading when we deal with Greek mythology and far too many people, because this is a pretty popular subject. They want to just gloss over all those things because they don't want to actually do the dirty work of like really looking at what these things meant in context back then and how we can navigate them in understanding, discussing them. Because like when I'm telling if if the entire premise of this podcast is basically I'm going to tell you a whole bunch of stories where there's like. It seems like there's a queer couple and it turns out one was 50 and one was 13. I'm not going to cast it like that because that would be unethical and dishonest. So I know that you and I had talked about this previously, Vince, about I think you had mentioned Japan was another place that this happened a lot.
2: Well, so during the Edo era, there's a long history of like how Buddhism travels across East Asia. Um, and like going into Japan, like at the same time as the, like during like the kind of height of the samurai era and stuff like that, Edo the city, I'm pretty sure just like was for the most part, didn't have women in it because there was kind of this, like, again, religious grounds for the hatred of women, um, because of, like, them creating life, right? And the whole thing of, like, we have to stop the cycle, blah, blah, blah. But it's, like, it was, at that point, like, a translation of a translation of Buddhism and then filtered through some other stuff that was mm-hmm. going on. And so there was kind of, like, a similar, like, raising boys up through this, like, sexual, but, like, we're teaching you relationship. And then they're also, again, not having, a, a, a like, a linguistic real even like basis for the concept of it being like homosexual um and that being like a later thing that we apply mm. just because like there, there wasn't a context for it so it's like yeah again like it allows us to more closely actually get at what like motivations of people at the time and like actually understand the way they were understanding things when we consider those contexts because otherwise it, they, they just seem crazy
1: Well, and it's the same thing that we have to do in terms of like ethically talking about, you know, other cultures when we're talking about queerness and transness across the world. You know, you can't just say that the Hijra in India are trans women. Mm -hmm. They're not. They're not. They wouldn't call themselves that most of the time because it's considered a completely different, like, third gender that has its own context culturally and religiously and that has a very good reason for having a name. And there is no approximation. It's the same thing as when I was talking about how, you know, it's really important that we are respectful of, like, for example, the Orishas. There is no English word for Orisha. People call the Orishas gods or deities. That's actually considered disrespectful by many people because there's one God who created everything. And then he created the Orishas and put them in charge. Like we don't have an analogous word. Don't try to just make one fit. You know, you can't say Gandhi was gay. You can say it's a matter of historical record that it's basically proven at this point that Gandhi had sex with men, but there was no, that wasn't an available identity for him to adopt. That was not, that's a Western idea. And that we're not even giving him the, the the chance to adopt it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's like, you can't just shoehorn things where you want them to be because you want there to be evidence of whatever. You don't need to. You know, like, I, 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 I was so excited to read everybody, you know, that hymn by Anna Hedwana last week where the very first piece of writing that has somebody's name signed to it talks about transition.
0: Mm-hmm. That's amazing.
1: That's incredible. You know what I'm saying? And, like, and attributing it to a yeah. goddess – who is super important and we're going to talk about in our Aphrodite episode because she's on that continuum of Venusian goddesses. Mm. And she's really the first installment in Anna and is a huge progenitor in a way or foremother in having whoever the Venusian goddess is have gender variants in her, not just her worshippers, but her clergy.
0: I think it's interesting and really important to put these things in context just because otherwise, I mean, it is it's so easy to react. I think people sometimes with things we don't understand within our own context, it's really easy to just react to what you're hearing, but you're only able to react within your own context. You know, those those initial reactions only happen because you're you're superimposing what you're hearing about in your own context, which a lot of the time is viable but when you're talking about like ancient civilizations or think times that are completely unrelated to today it's it doesn't quite work you can have a response you can have an instant response and it doesn't mean some of this stuff you know there's still morality on some level but like when society is structured so completely differently like in order to actually have an impression rather than just like a knee-jerk reaction you do have to you you do have to look at the context and the vast differences that like are just not you know would make it you, you not even look at it the same way
1: where it's like basically not translatable. Right. Like, what you're not it you're reacting to same. an idea that you've translated incorrectly. Right. Because there is no translation. Yeah. You know, like for me, listen, I'm an Aries. Knee jerk reactions are my fucking life.
0: But, <laughs>
1: um, I when I when I react really severely, uh, with like hostility or revulsion or or that to something, especially if it's something in history. I immediately stop and I say, what don't I know?
0: Yeah, what am I missing here?
1: What do I not know here? Because I feel like I might be reacting from my own current... Sociopolitical context, exactly. and not understanding the full picture at this time, and
0: not to say that that you're entirely wrong necessarily. There probably is still some middle commonality, or like there's some part of it that you're still understanding, right. but it's not. Right. It just it's a very it's in, in the end it's a boring way to react to something because it's like well fine well, you can it just lacks write nuance. things off. You can write things off, or you could write, or you could like things and not really look at yeah exactly without the nuances of that come with the different time periods and the different societies and you know and different beliefs and different experiences 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 and
1: well to me it kind of negates the whole point though yeah like if you're if you're not looking for the nuance and understanding what it was like for these ancient peoples and what they believed and how they lived and why their gods were the way they were Why are you studying it at all? Why are you even looking at it if you don't really care about getting the full picture? You don't
0: want to put it in context. Or
1: you only want the whole picture if it's easily digestible and doesn't, you know, and like fits perfectly in a tweet or something. Like it doesn't, it's not ever going to be that easy because these are people who live in a time and a place and an era and a culture that we will never know except for what pieces we can put together. Absolutely. It's the same thing as, like, movements to bring back so-called dead religions, Mm -hmm. right? And you have people who are revivalists, and you have people who are reconstructionists. You know, reconstructionists tend to be by the book. Here's the history that we have. We try to most, you know, accurately recreate everything that we can from this ancient religion and where we have gaps, we have gaps and hopefully science and, you know, history and everything else will get better and we'll be able to fill those gaps in, but we're not going to fill them in though. And then a lot of revivalists go the other way and they say, well, we'll take all that and we'll use it, but then we'll fill the rest in with UPG, which is unverifiable personal gnosis Mm -hmm. where they're sort of like, well, the goddess told me in a dream that this is how it used to be done so we're gonna just go with, we're gonna that. go with that yeah and it's like well you know that can mean something to you but actually trying to like create doctrine in the religion you're recreating off of a dream is probably not the best way to go about it Definitely, you know it's not. not verifiable it's it's entirely subjective you can't even prove to anybody else you had the fucking dream no, that it's just you just know what that's I mean like,
0: that's like nonsense it could be anything then
1: but that's the whole thing though is it's like what are you looking for are you looking for the convenience and the comfort of a full picture or are you? looking for honesty and truth and objectivity where you can find it and that to me is the is sort of the dividing line a lot of the times because you know if you guys haven't picked up on it already the three of us in some way shape or form are all spiritual people and we have no problem acknowledging that these gods could be real
0: yeah or and part parts of them real you know like there's so there's so many versions that are that i don't see is just metaphor there's like truth and reality
1: which is also like why you know for me i want to look at like what was the worship of this god like and what yeah. how did they characterize it and what did they think you know like i for me it's so fascinating when i look at the greeks and i'm like you know these these people had devoted cults to their gods and things like that but they also were critical of their gods and their gods were yeah. messy and dramatic and petty and like To me, you know, having the advantage of being where I am in history, you know, looking back, if I'm going to choose a pantheon of gods, I don't know that I'm choosing the Greeks. I'll be honest, because it seems like I'd be just as likely to, like, have a wonderful time as, like, get zapped. I don't know, you know? So that's the thing that you have to, like, kind of figure out for yourself. (laughs) They are. They're they're pretty capricious. They're like people. I
0: mean, they're, like, they're messy. They
1: are. Yeah. And so... Some people, that's what they want, you know? Like, we, we've made a lot of jokes about all of the shortcomings we see in the biblical God, because it's easy. But also, you know, do I want a more knowable God if knowing that God is revealing a personality I don't really jive with? I don't know, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's wild.
2: In like, kind of finding out the way that they, like, the context under which they would have been worshipped and, like, related to back then like, gives you an opportunity to adopt another perspective as well, like, in thinking about all of the energies and, like, concepts that have to deal with that god in the first place. Because, like, river gods to us now don't have the same, like, just for us thinking about them, don't have the same context as to someone who lived, like, on one of the first villages that, Happened on a river where it was like a source of life. Yeah, it's
0: everything. Right.
2: (laughs) Well, I remember when
1: I was talking about gods in a spirit work class, and somebody went, "Why are there so many fertility gods?" And I'm like, "Because you would starve without them, (laughs) or you die in childbirth without them, or both."
0: Need, Depending on which kind of fertility, general, yeah.
1: like this is the parameters of reality for these people and for humankind for a really long time. Like it would make sense well, that you had these gods.
2: It was way less likely to like have children that survive. Right. Uh, so, like fertility was something that people were actually actively thinking about way more often because it Stuff that should not by any means yeah. guaranteed. Yeah, it's like a that's a that's a good mental thing to just be able to to have consistent access to like a different perspective.
1: It's kind of like when we were talking about cosmology and worldview, and like you know understanding people's creation myths. It, it obviously extrapolates out into like their gods. What yeah. do their gods do? How do their gods act? You know, like that tells you a lot about them as a yeah. society, as a people. You know, in their history of like what was most important, what was prioritized, which gods had more power and more a bigger role to play because that was the thing that they needed the most. You know, if you look, I mean, Poseidon has a ridiculously large role to play in Greek myth because these are seafaring people living on islands and on a coast. Like that's not something you're going to find in a landlocked country. You're just not, you know what I mean? And so that's a thing that is clearly there and you know having the stature that he does where he's not just like you know a one-off god or goddess over here that kind of fills out the pantheon no 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 he's one of the three brothers that like rules the fucking cosmos you know like yeah. that's a big deal and there's a reason for it and so of course and also having the ideas about like the primordial waters if you're a fucking desert people you're not gonna have an idea about primordial waters so yeah i mean it relates a lot to not only their cosmology and their worldview but also like their lived experiences yeah i think that's one of the things i like the most about it well oftentimes it's the only thing we have left to try and figure out who to these figure people were and what they thought yeah. is looking at what we have left religiously.
2: And that speaks to like the power of religion or culture patterns as like receptacles for like memory. Yeah. yeah. And like how good they are at doing that and like how they've been one of the most effective tools we've developed that's so true. over time. Mm-hmm.
1: Well something as simple as like looking at what are the goddesses capable of versus the gods mm. and how does that correspond to women's stature in society. Yeah. Well that's it for today. We, we kind of you know did a whole number on Zeus, Jupiter, and everybody in between. So we want to thank you for joining us for this awesome first episode that is focused on just one of the Olympians. Some might say the Olympian, but that would not be one of us. Nope. Um, <laughs> sure not. Um, so, yeah, we just, you know, again, we want to thank you guys for joining us for another awesome episode of When God is Queer. We love presenting it. And we love getting the feedback from you. Please, if you can, think about rating and reviewing us on whatever platform you listen to us on. It actually really does help the podcast get uh, discovered by more people. We are so excited to tackle the gods in upcoming episodes. And so, what we want you to do is you can email us at whengodwasqueer at gmail.com or shoot us a DM on Instagram at whengodwasqueer. And tell us what questions you have about the Olympian gods before we get to their episode. And we'll make sure that we shout you out and we answer your question for you. Awesome. Oh, sick. Yeah, I think gonna be cool. I really want to do that. Um, also, Dank House of Hades... Dank House of Hades 2021. Yeah, if you want to become a member of the Dank House of Hades, just hit us up at the email or on the Instagram, like I mentioned. Also, hey, there's like a really weird thing that Anchor does because we're hosted on Anchor where you can leave us a voice message. Oh, and if you are yeah. awesome or funny, I can add your voice message into the next episode. Do it.
0: <laughs> I know, right?
1: It's wild. That's so, crazy. yeah, if you if you want to do that, you just literally go to um, anchor.fm slash when God was queer. It has a thing where you can leave us a voice message. So that would be really cool. That would cool. be so we, fun. We'd love to hear from you guys. I think that's just like, really fun so yeah so that's it from us here for today um we got zeus out of the way i think all the gods get (laughs) exponentially cooler after this point tune in next week to find out what happens to the boy with the ivory shoulder little miss pelops and his torrid love affair with poseidon god of the ocean not gonna be good so from us here at when god was queer we're wishing you the best and if you can't have that then uh have the day you deserve all right (laughs) and we say from us to you Be gay. Be gay. gay. Do crime. Do crime. The gods
0: are always
2: watching. watching. The gods gods are always watching. (laughs) (laughs) No,
0: it gets worse. We got the be gay with the gay. It's actually degenerating. It's getting worse every week. I love it.
2: It's ideal. Uh, All right, everybody. Bye. Ciao. Bye. (laughs)
0: Nice.